Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. Well, we have, for the last several weeks now, been talking about life with Jesus. And so, for those of you who haven't been tracking with us, a life with Jesus, you've probably heard synonyms to that. Uh, by life with Jesus, we also mean, you know, what we often refer to as our relationship with God or our intimacy with Christ. It's that intentional uh, working out our relationship with Jesus, our leaning into him, our being dependent on him, our nurturing that relationship that he's called us to. And so I've, I've gone ahead and given a definition for this, and so I'll re- remind us of what this is. By life with Jesus, I mean this, that mutual and intentional relationship between us and Christ, through which we continually grow in our understanding and our experience of his love, in our desire to be obedient to him and to be transformed by him, and in our willingness to be on mission with him. And so this is what I mean when I mention our life with Jesus. And so we've been focusing in on what exactly does that mean? We've taken a look at what does it mean to understand better and to experience more the love of God. We've taken a look together at what does it mean to desire to be more obedient to him and also to invite him in to transform us, giving us the capacity to be obedient to him. And last week we took a look at what does it mean to desire to be on mission with him? Because after all, we serve a God who has always been throughout human history on mission. In fact, we are evidence of the fact that he is a God who is on mission. He is a God who cares about lost people. He is a God who cares about reconciling all of humanity to himself. And we here today, 2,000 years after the gospel first went forward uh, among the first believers, we're evidence of that, that the church has taken seriously throughout this past 2,000 years, this call to join God in what he is doing on mission. And so as we consider our lives with Jesus, We have to remember that those things that are important to him become more important to us as we lean in. And so we've taken a look at several of these things together. Today I want to talk about another part of our life with Jesus, part of our relationship with God that might seem a little odd, a little strange. Not because it's anything that the Bible isn't clear about over and over again, but because because of who we are and because of the other relationships that we enjoy, It's a foreign concept to us that we try to wrap our minds around as we study the scriptures. Because with God, he is always our Lord. In fact, if you remember just a few minutes ago, as I was asking the girls, the first thing I asked them was this, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins and that God raised him from the dead to secure your right standing before him? That's right out of Romans 4.25. But the next question was this. Do you commit yourself to Jesus as Lord? And that is the relation, it's part of the relationship we have with him. He has called us to recognize and to surrender to his lordship. And that's distinct from all other relationships that we have, if we're being honest. We don't have any other sense of lordship in any of the other relationships we have. 
Here's just some of the other relationships. And I want to tell you one thing that categorizes all of them is this. That in any human relationship you experience, we are always one among equals. And so here's just some of them. Husband and wife, mother and daughter, friend and friend, manager and coworker, uh, coffee lover and barista who's with me. Thank you. Yes, that's my people right there, the caffeinated ones. Yes, and all, these, are all, these are just some of the many relationships that we get to enjoy among other human beings in this world. And all of these relationships, in one way or another, we're one among equals when we really think about who it is that we are engaging with. Because what we see in our relationship with God that's different from our relationship with other people is that there is this creator-creature divide. And all of us in our human relationships are all on the same side of that creator-creature divide. We're all creatures. We're all those created by God, contingent on God, dependent on God. And so we live this life in good relationships with each other, hopefully mostly good relationships with each other. But among all of us, they are, we are on the same side of that. But with God, it's different. With God, there, he's on the other side of the spectrum, the other side of that creator-creature divide. And so this relationship is going to be very different. Even in our human relationships, we know that there are levels of authority, right? There are levels of, of, of you know, professionals versus novices and bosses versus underlings. And there's those kinds of relationships that we have. There are relationships that exist within, with authority. And yet all humans are on the same side of that creator-creature divide. And so even where there's tears and authority, tears and respect, uh, tears and office, there, we're always one among equals. But again, this is not true. And we can think about this relationship that we have with God. We stand on opposite sides of this creator-creature divide. And so because of that, there's going to be significant differences in this relationship that he has called us to. He is a perfect being. That doesn't mean that he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't do that either. But when I say he's a perfect being, that means he needs or wants nothing. There's nothing that God lacks that someone else or something else can provide. God in himself is perfect. He needs nothing. That's very different from you and I. We are what we call contingent beings. We can't exist apart from that which God provides. We can't exist without oxygen. We can't exist without food. We can't exist without water. We can't exist without the things that God gives mercifully by his hand. We need God for everything. And God needs no one for nothing. He's on the other side of that creator-creature divide. God is infinite. You know, we, we, we mark the passing of time each year with the celebration of a birthday. I remember feeling young once and every year. I don't feel quite as young as I used to. Uh, even trying to get out of that baptismal today was fun. Uh, wouldn't have been as much of a problem 10 years ago even. But you know what? We were marked by time because we have a finite beginning. And at least until we experience the fullness of our eternal life, you know, we're understanding our finiteness, our limitedness. God doesn't have any such obstacles. God is infinite. He has always existed. He will always exist. He doesn't change. He doesn't deteriorate. He doesn't get slow in his old age. God is infinite. And so it is impossible 
for you and I to even understand, to wrap our minds around what an infinite being is. And yet, we're in a relationship with one. But we have to recognize that there is a difference because we are on different sides of this creator-creature divide. God knows all. Now, that's, there's no asterisk there. There's no parentheses. There's no footnote. God knows all. And every year, regardless of how many books I read or how many classes I take, I learn an important truth. I know very, very little. And we know very, very little when we really think about it. How many times have you experienced an aha moment, still learning despite how many decades have passed in our lives? We are still learning and we will never learn at all. And compared to the vastness of God's knowledge, we know nothing. And yet we're in a relationship with one who knows all. And so again, we're reminded of the differences between us and God and this relationship that he's called us to. We're not the same. We're not one among equals. And so for starters, let's not miss the fact that this is truly a wonderful mystery that we have the privilege of being in a relationship with God, that he has done everything necessary so that us creatures can have a relationship, a true relationship with him our creator. However, what we need to recognize is that a relationship with God is going to be very different, very distinct from the relationships that we have one with another. Because with us, we're one among equals. With God, it's not that way. We are not one among equals. No matter how we look at it, we are us and God is God. We are his subjects and he is our Lord. And so I want to acknowledge two things right off the bat. The first one is this, that it's easy to imagine a tension, therefore, in our relationship with God and our submission to him as our Lord. Again, there's no other relationship in which this exists. So it could be easy to perceive of some kind of a tension between this relationship he's called us with and the fact that he is our Lord. And so how do we reconcile these two things? We're going to talk about that. And let's be honest, here's my second thing. As modern Americans... We don't do lordship well. We don't like the idea of someone who is our Lord who we surrender to. And so I want to spend the rest of our time together this morning speaking to these two points. And so let's start with the beginning. Our relationship with God and our submission to his lordship. How do we hold these two things in tension with one another? Because on the one hand, we read passages of scripture such as this, John 15, 15. Jesus is talking to his followers. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So here, Jesus is very clear. He calls us his friends. That's, that's among some, one of the most personal types of relationships that we have in this world. I've got many acquaintances. I have few friends in comparison. Don't we value that friendship? Isn't there a closeness among our friends? And it's hard to imagine any kind of sense of lordship in the midst of a friendship. And yet this is what he calls us to. We read in 1 John 3, 1, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 
The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And so John is writing to these churches, and he's reminding them of this wonderful truth that God has called us his children. I'm a son of God. You might be a son or a daughter of God. I don't know many relationships that are as, 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 as close, as intimate as that of a parent and a child. And this is a theme overall that we see over and over in the scriptures, by the way. Galatians 3, 26 to 27. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. You are all children of God through faith. Romans 8, 15 to 16, Paul writing to a different church. He says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We're friends of God. We're children of God. And it's hard to imagine any such relationship with submission to one's authority in the midst of it. We largely, as humans, understand things by way of analogy. You know, teachers probably understand this better than most. You know, there's many different ways in which we learn, but we tend to learn by way of analogy. So, for instance, if the doctor says, you're going to feel a little pinch right before he or she sticks you with the needle... Why does that happen? Because you're trying, because you're anticipating what's to come and the doctor is trying to give you some idea, some sense, some analogy of what you're about to experience to prepare you for what is about to come. A husband asks his wife how her day was and she replies, I have had the worst day ever. Hopefully you haven't said this recently, but it happens, right? Uh, so what does she mean by this? What does she mean I've had the worst day ever? Well, she means, imagine the worst days we've had in recent history. This one was worse. Her answer is an analogy, again, comparing this day to all the other bad days that we've had before. We understand the world around us by way of analogy. This is just the way our minds work. So what happens when we read that we are friends of God? What happens when we read passages such as John 15, 15, and we see Jesus saying, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. What happens in our minds? Our minds automatically filter that relationship through the analogy, the comparison of our human friendships. We know what a friend is. We have them. And so we start thinking of this relationship with God in terms of the friendships we have with other people as well. But what's true of my human friendships is not necessarily what's true of my friendship with God. What happens when we read that we are children of God? Again, our minds automatically filter that relationship through the analogy of our relationships with human parents. But again, what's true of the human parent-child relationships we think must be true of our relationship with God, but it isn't necessarily the case. Remember, our human friendships all exist on the same side of that creator-creature divide. All of them, every friendship exists on that side of it. And so who God is makes our friendship, our sonship, our daughtership unique compared to all similar human relationships that we have in this world. So here's the truth of the matter. God is Lord no matter what. No matter what, 
God, by who he is, is already Lord. God is Lord because of who he is. Nothing could ever possibly change that. No set of circumstances, no number of people who don't believe in him, no number of people who don't obey him. Nothing changes the fact that intrinsic to God is his lordship. He is God. Everything else is creation. God is Lord. Everything is contingent on him. He has made it all. He sustains it all and all is dependent on him. Apart from him, there would be nothing. Further, all things, all people, everything is ultimately accountable to him. Whether or not people recognize this fact, these are just some of the things that we know that demonstrate that God, on the basis of who he is, is Lord. And we see this in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that all people, whether you acknowledge God now or not, will one day come to recognize that God is Lord. Here's an Old Testament reference followed by a New Testament reference. Here's Psalm 86, 9 through 10. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. And so one day, if not now, one day, all people will come and recognize who God is. Despite whatever protestations they put up now. Here's a New Testament reference, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. We just read this in Sunday school this morning. Uh, Paul is writing and he says, Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is Lord regardless of of whether or not people acknowledge that fact or surrender to that fact now, uh, God is Lord. But in the context of this relationship with God that we have, that we've been talking about for several weeks, in the context of our life with Jesus, there must always be a recognition of his lordship and a submission to his lordship. That's what we're called to. In the context of this relationship, we especially need to recognize his lordship and we need to be willing to submit, to surrender to his lordship. Even though I've shown the limitations of our analogies, here's, here are some at least that might give us a dim picture of this notion. Would we perhaps act a little bit differently in front of a respected world leader that we come across than we would perhaps our neighbor. I would really hope so, I think so. Um, would we speak differently with our grandparents than we would our best friend? You know this is true. Would we treat our bosses with more respect than our coworkers? Probably, right, we would hope. If you want a job there very long, you will anyway. Why? Why do we treat certain people different than others? Because even though we find ourselves on the same side of the creator-creature divide in these particular relationships, we acknowledge something about who they are, something about the office that they hold, uh, what they've accomplished, their authority over us, which demands a higher level of respect in the context of that relationship in which we find ourselves. And so when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we have to also recognize who he is and surrender to his lordship. And so even in the context of this relationship, this friendship, this sonship, this daughtership, we obey. 
We serve, we praise, we tell others about him, etc. Because we acknowledge, we recognize, and we surrender to his lordship. And it's because of who God is, it's because of what God has done, because of his lordship, that we have the benefits of our relationship with him. That these things we sing about in song and we praise God for in prayer and we're thankful about as we talk together as believers, all of these things exist because of who God is, because of what God has done. Because of his lordship, we have been able, he has been able to provide those blessings that we celebrate in Christ. In fact, the recognition of the lordship of Jesus is an essential element of the gospel. The gospel, the good news that we respond to and receive salvation from. His lordship is an essential aspect of it. Again, today I ask those being baptized, do you commit yourself to Jesus as Lord? Because along with believing in his death and his resurrection, recognizing and surrendering to his lordship is essential for our salvation. We see this in numerous places throughout the New Testament. I'll read this for you now. This is Romans 10, verses 9 through 10. It'll be up on the screen. It says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. Again, belief and the profession of the lordship of Christ is necessary for our salvation. This is the gospel message. And profession is not just saying words or paying lip service. Uh, somebody brought up in Sunday school this morning that even, even Satan does this, even demons do this. They recognize who Jesus is. That doesn't mean that they have worshipped him or surrendered to him as Lord, though. When we profess Jesus as Lord, we are professing that commitment that we have made in our heart and our mind, that forever commitment. We are saved from our sin, reconciled to God, moved from life to death, and promised eternal life when we recognize and commit to Jesus as Lord, and when we believe that the, his death and resurrection happened to fix the problem that we caused that we couldn't fix for ourselves, but God fixed it by his grace. Again, who we are in relationship with and what he has done. Jesus is Lord, and he died and rose again to fix the problem that we caused and we couldn't fix for ourselves. Because of this, we can have a relationship with God, a life with Jesus, and so certainly we can't even entertain a relationship with him apart from that acknowledging his lordship and that surrender to his lordship. So that leads me to our second issue today. As modern Americans, we don't do well with the notion of lordship. I remember even back in the day how often I would talk back to my parents, how often I would know, I would think I knew more about life than they did. Their decisions were wrong because my decision had to be right. Boy, was I a cocky little kid. We don't like the idea of lordship. We don't like the idea of any kind of authority. And so when especially an ultimate authority, let's be honest, it's not something we want to gravitate toward, not something we, 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 we revel in, uh, at least uh, you know, on the surface, right? We pride ourselves on our autonomy, on our freedom, on our independence. These are things that are part of our core DNA, if you will in this country. And that's not a bad thing, 
except that it could stand in the way of how we're supposed to rightly view God in this relationship that we have. We talk, we talk up our leaders when we agree with them, and we're quick to tear them down when we don't agree with them. Uh, whether our leaders are good or bad, in this country they're parodied on Saturday Night Live and, turn, and, and tore down on late night television. That's just the way it is. In our culture, respect is earned by one's deeds, right? But it's never assumed because of who someone is, and even respect that is earned is quickly lost. You know, I've been watching uh, NFL a lot this year, and uh, man, I remember just a couple weeks back, because we're in week five now, uh, Russell Wilson was being talked up, and the future of the Denver Broncos was being talked up. Guess what? It's been a terrible, terrible five weeks for the Denver Broncos. Be glad you're not a Denver Broncos fan. But I'll tell you right now, they are trashing Russell Wilson. Here was this guy they were praising five weeks ago, the savior of Denver. And now, man, did they make a mistake in bringing him in. Even those things that we earn by our deeds, we could be disrespected the very next moment when our deeds don't measure up to the expectations of everyone else. We don't do respect, authority, and lordship very well in our culture. I'll be honest, in that environment, understanding the lordship of Jesus is a difficult prospect. It is a foreign concept. But it doesn't absolve us of the necessity to recognize and surrender to the lordship of Jesus. So what are we called to do? How can we understand submission to the lordship of Christ biblically? Well, first, our lives are not ultimately about us, and we need to understand that. And that, again, goes right against the grain, against everything we've ever thought, about everything we were ever told, about everything we've ever been encouraged by the commercials on TV and the billboards to pursue. Our lives are ultimately not about us. And the quicker we learn this, the quicker we will have, be able to, make, uh, to come to terms with this idea of lordship. Our lives are now, as Christians, ultimately about Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says this. Paul's writing to various churches throughout a region of Galatia. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I think a lot of times we put these on Christian uh, bookmarks on the front of our Bible. We highlight them in colored uh, markers in our Bible, and we have no idea what this passage means. Do you know what Paul is saying here? He's saying, I, Paul, died that day on the road to Damascus. I, Paul, no longer exist. This life I live in the body is now no longer about Paul. It's about Jesus Christ living his life through me. And that is the life I now live. That's what Paul's saying. It's no longer about him. Life is ultimately not about Paul. And we see this as we read through Acts, as we read his letters, as we see his life. His life was not about him. It was about Jesus. And this is what lordship is. Surrendering to Jesus' lordship means we belong to him. It's all about him, not us. His will is the priority in our lives. Thinking about it practically, I can confidently suggest that one who has consistently surrendered to the lordship of Jesus tells people about Jesus even if they're nervous to do so. 
goes to church to be among God's people, even if they're tired on a Sunday morning, stops and prays with others, even if they're in a hurry, gives to mission, missions, even if they're saving up to buy something they really want, helps someone in need, even if they really don't feel like it at the moment. Because in our life with Jesus, we surrender to his lordship. Our lives are not ultimately about us, not anymore. They're about Jesus. And the quicker we come to terms with this, the quicker we will understand and be able to live out a life surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. Second, our very bodies belong to the Lord and they house the Holy Spirit. You know, and I'll be honest, you know, for most of us, this is not our natural way to live our lives or to understand who we are, our bodies, and what we do with them. But this is what it means to come under the, uh, the, the, the lordship of Jesus in all these areas of life. And these are from the scriptures. We read this in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20. Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so part of submitting to the Lordship of Christ is recognizing that we've been bought and paid for. And you know what? That's a good thing. Because I know I was dead in my sins, and not only was I cut off from God in this life, but would have been cut off from God for all of eternity. I, my life could have very well, if it persisted in that way, been deprived of all these wonderful blessings that I have since coming to faith in the Lord. And man, I don't want that life back. Think about what God has done for you. Think about your eternal future, but think about even now, the blessings you have in a relationship with the Lord, in the love of your church family, in all the ways in which God has worked and moved in your life. And think about if, those, if you have a list of things that you could go ahead and name off and testify to what God has done, imagine all the hosts of things he's done that you don't even know. Behind the scenes as God has blessed you in your walk with him. And so when we think about these things, he has paid for that. And what a small price that we have to give it all back to him, to be surrendered to his lordship. Part of submitting to the Lordship of Christ is recognizing that we have been bought and paid for. We belong to him. One beautiful, wonderful, amazing facet of this is that we have the presence of God with us at all times in the person of the Holy Spirit. But because of that, we have become sacred space. I'm going to say that again. We have a person of God, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, present with us all the time. And so our bodies, which we often before coming to the Lord treated as common, took for granted. It is no longer that way. In the same way that the temple in Jerusalem was sacred space because God's presence dwelt there, guess what? Our bodies are the same thing. They are houses of the Holy Spirit and they have become sacred space as God dwells in us. You know, as a pastor, I've often heard people say things like this, and uh, I'm sure that several in this room have probably been some of the people who have said these things. There's nothing wrong with saying these things per se, uh, but how about this? Don't say that in church. You shouldn't do that in church. I can't believe you wore that to church. My wife has said that one to me, by the way, just so you know. But why do we say things like that? 
What is the impulse that makes us think about church as someplace different than anywhere else? Your living room, Winn-Dixie. Why? Why is church different? What in our mind do we think sets it apart? And we say these things because we recognize the church as a sacred space. It's the place where the body of Christ gathers. It's the place where brothers and sisters, all who have the Holy Spirit, gather together to sing praise to the Lord, to study his word, to all these wonderful things. It's been a a place that's marked out, set apart as sacred space to honor God. And so this is the impulse that leads you to say certain things like this at different times. The problem is it's not the church building that's the sacred space. It's us. What makes this space sacred is when we all come together in it. And as the Holy Spirit who indwells each of us comes together for the purposes for which we gather together in this place, that's what makes this sacred space. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are where God reigns as Lord, all the more when we come together as his people, as the church. But most of the time, we don't live as though our very bodies are sacred space. We either live in apathy of that fact, or worse, we use our bodies, the temples of the Holy Spirit, to sin. We need to recognize that the sacred space goes with us when we walk out the doors. Our very bodies belong to the Lord and house the Holy Spirit. Our bodies must be surrendered to the Lord. This is just another part of what it means to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. So where do we go from here? In our life with Jesus, how do we move forward in surrendering to the lordship of Jesus? First, I think we need to recognize his lordship transcends every aspect of our lives. His lordship transcends, crosses over, goes through, takes up every aspect, every facet of our life. We are no longer our own, right? We have been bought for a price. Our old selves were crucified with Christ and no longer live. We just read these passages. It's now all about him living his life in us. And so that includes when you're home, when you're at work, when you engage with others in God's world. That includes when you're with your family, your friends. It even includes when you're with those people you're in conflict with. Ouch. God is your Lord in every situation. And so his will must prevail in every place and with every person that we encounter. He is always our Lord and we always surrender to his will in every place and with every person. Second, submitting to Jesus' lordship is not something we do once. I asked those ladies this question today in response to their commitment to him and turning their life over to him. That's the first, perhaps, of many times throughout their lives that they are going to be called to commit themselves again and again and again to Jesus. I don't mean they're going to walk away and one day have to come back. I mean that we don't do well with lordship. And so we need to wake up each and every day and say, Lord, I give my day to you. You are my Lord. Help me to see it the way you see it. Help me to live the way you want to live. When a crossroads is before me and I can go my way or your way, give me the strength to go your way. You are my Lord. This is something we do all the time. We have to do every day. Third, we need his help. And I've said this before. I'll say it again. 
we do not have the capacity to do what God has called us to do apart from God giving us the capacity to do it. We need his help. Again, over the past few weeks, we've seen this. It comes from the overflow of our life with Jesus that we have the ability to do the things he has called us to do. We need to desire that he gives us this capacity. We need to desire that, he's, that he transform our hearts and minds, making this easier and easier. Now, one could come to me after and say, uh, Kevin, you know, he gave you the Holy Spirit, so you have the capacity. Yeah, but the Holy Spirit is always talking. We're not necessarily always listening. We need to take the posture of, God, I know that you're going to give me every help. You've already made it possible for me to have every help I need. Help me to surrender to you. And to take and to avail myself of this we need this and so we need to pray we need to pray that he gives us the help that we need we need to encounter him through the reading of the bible so that the holy spirit might transform our hearts and minds through it and thanks be to god the surrendering to the lordship of jesus in our life will yield peace and joy and fellowship with other believers effective service for god and many other things for which we are thankful and so friends don't be afraid of lordship it's a big word but we have a big God who loves us. And thanks to God, he has invited us. Not just invited us. He has done everything necessary that we might enjoy a relationship with him whereby we are his friends. We are his children. And his lordship does not impede that one bit. But it's a beautiful part of that relationship he's called us to. Sure, it's different than every other human friendship and every other parent-child relationship. But when we stop... Rebelling against it as if we know better and surrender to his lordship, we will enjoy all the benefits and blessings that he intends for us to have as his friends and as his children.
Thank you.